take a shot downfield. Remember that for your highlight show tonight. Brucock to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! There's a snap, gets by Nip, he has to chase it inside the 10, he dives on it, it is loose, and it is picked up by Jacob Callier! Callier's got it to four-yard line, a turnover, and the freshman with another big play for Colorado. Oh, there's Lindsey, he's gone! Lindsey's gone, and Colorado gets the big hit! Welcome in to Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster, Tiger Publisher of BuffStampede.com here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Again, this week, Buff Stampede Radio is brought to you by Gorman Recruiting, specializing in the unique needs of small and medium businesses. Gorman Recruiting is dedicated to removing the stress of the hiring process. When you're hiring key management, sales, or administration, Gorman Recruiting should be your first call. Learn more at GormanRecruiting.com. Tyler, let's jump into this week's show. Obviously, we're going to talk a lot about Colorado's disappointing effort at Washington State. We'll look ahead to homecoming weekend and the Cal game. I have an interview with Chris Bounds on the show as well, and we'll talk a little hoops after. Of course, each week we answer the fan questions as well. This is obviously a week where there's a sense of urgency needed. If they're going to go to a bowl game, not necessarily mathematically, but realistically, they have to win this Saturday. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. This is about as close to a must-win as possible before you know the mathematical stuff comes in. Um, this is easily the most winnable game left on the schedule. It's easily the worst opponent left on the schedule. It's one of our last two home games. I mean, there's a lot of factors that suggest this is one that you have to win. Obviously, we're favored. Um, we haven't played well enough, I don't think, to be favored at this point, but I'm not really sure Cal has either, to be honest. Uh, they've really struggled outside of uh, forcing other teams to turn the ball over. Now, obviously, something's got to give there because we've been pretty good about not turning the ball over despite all our other flaws this year. So yeah, um, that will probably be the thing to watch in regards to how this game goes. Yes, you actually went 16 quarters without a turnover. They had that streak snapped out in uh, Pullman. Let's go back to that game, Tyler. Were you okay with Steven Montez getting benched in the second half? He completed just four of his 13 passes for only 21 yards in that first half. I didn't like it, honestly, because we were still in the game when he got benched. It was 14-0, I think, memory serves. Um, You know, one break happens, and all of a sudden you're in the game. I mean, we had that basically right at the start of the third quarter there. They had that uh, punt fumble recovery. Um, You know, if Neuer out there and nothing got done, we didn't score, obviously. I think you'd like to have seen Montez in that situation. Now, obviously, he didn't play well, but Neuer didn't either. Um, I don't. I think you knew going into that he wasn't really going to make any decisions or make plays that gave us a chance to win. You lose the ability to run a little bit. Um, you know, Montez wasn't good in the game, but the weather was horrible. I don't think people really realized how bad it was. Washington State struggled quite a bit offensively as well, uh, except for a few big plays, so... You know, there's a lot of injuries for us as well, especially defensively in this game, which doesn't help. Uh, you know, I, I think it's one of those situations where you have to stick with the guy. He's young. He's going to make mistakes. We knew this all along, and Washington State is an experienced group. I didn't have a problem with it. And the analogy that I would use here is if you have a starting pitcher out there, and it's clear that he just doesn't have it that day, and he's getting shellacked. And I, that's the way I felt about Steven Montez in that first half. This kid from El Paso and, and – yeah, the weather is is a, a little bit of an excuse you can use there. Obviously, Montez didn't grow up playing in any conditions like that. I felt like Neuer at least was a change of pace, uh, and McIntyre said it, he thought that was the only, only way they could spark it. Now, that said, if Montez does not start this week, then I think that's a huge mistake. Uh, I don't think this is a true quarterback competition that's taking place this week, despite what Mike McIntyre is saying I think this is basically the, the coaching staff putting Montez on notice that he better show some improvement in a more linear and rapid pace. I mean, Lindgren even talked about 
the fact that Nori was basically just going to get a few more reps with the first team. So I, I just I don't think this is a true quarterback competition. Um, so I would be on board with you thinking that it's too early to pull the hook on Montez if if, if it indeed is them replacing him this week. Yeah, I mean, I you know I understand that they want to provide a spark. I would honestly wish they would have just gone to run the ball a little bit more. Uh, use my they were stacking the, the box though, like they had yeah, nine I mean, guys they, in there. They stocked it, stacked it against Neuer too. I mean, he didn't complete anything either. He was completing balls to grasshoppers the first three series of the game. Everything was right into the ground. It just I don't know. It just seemed like they quit on the game honestly when there was still an opportunity to make one big play and get back into it. Um, you know, if it had continued into the third quarter, I could see making a change. But 14-0 in a weather game, a lot of things can happen. I thought it was too early. Well, I think it's easier if you are going to make a quarterback change to do it coming out of halftime instead of a quarterback standing on the sideline cold for a quarter and then doing it. Yeah, I mean, it's easier probably. I just don't – I thought it was too early still. I mean, they got shut out. So I guess my point is, in hindsight, it's it's easy to say that you disagree with it. But I feel like in the moment when they said that Sam Noir was going to start the second half, I thought, okay, maybe this could spark the team. So it didn't happen, obviously. Um, and we saw Mike McIntyre get very animated on the sideline at the back judge uh, during the Washington State game. I forget who was uh, doing the color commentary on it, but he went out of his way to say that uh, he thought that – McIntyre's head wasn't in the game and that it was uh, sending the wrong message to his team. This is really the third time I can remember him really losing his cool. There was the Oregon State game where he chased the referees off the field basically after the game. And then there was the game where Joe Tumpkin got the penalty on him and then uh, basically got physically abused on the sideline. Yeah, I mean, McIntyre definitely likes to lose his cool a little bit. I don't necessarily hate that so much as a football coach, as much as some. Obviously, you'd like to, at some point, you got to give it up. He's not changing the call, like move on. But I like the fiery approach, and, I mean, the guy wasn't having a good game. There's no doubt about that. He made a lot of questionable calls. So, I mean, you have to be held responsible for the calls you make in the field at some point. Now, obviously, he embarrassed himself with the way he handled it, especially with the length of the time that he handled it. Uh, but... I mean, you can say his head wasn't in the game, but by that point, I think we all know where the game was headed, so it wouldn't have changed a whole lot for me. We've seen that McIntyre's a very emotional guy, even on the other side of things, when they got some big breakthrough moments of him crying, you know, after big wins. Um, So you're saying that doesn't really bother you? I mean, you know, out of all the other issues that this team has right now, that's certainly not the one that I'm going to be harping on. Okay. Uh, that you know they have a lot of on-field issues. He's frustrated. A lot of these guys are frustrated. I mean, everybody handles frustration in a different way, and I would say none of it is a guy, a person's proudest moment. So, McIntyre showed contrition after the incident that I referenced there against Oregon State the following week in practice. Uh, he did not do that this time. He was asked three different times at his press luncheon about it, and he gave one word answer one time. But again, it's I think it's really only. Every coach is going to get fired up about certain things. I think that was really only a third example that I can think in five years that it seemed like it crossed the line. Was this the most disappointing performance of the Mike McIntyre era, Tyler? McIntyre said it was their worst offensive performance during his time at CU, and it was the first time they've been shut out in his tenure. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely the worst offensive output. Um, I don't know. It's just one of those you could tell going into the game it was going to be gross, and it was gross. Uh, Washington State's an experienced group. Like I didn't go up there with any semblance of expectation to win the game, so it's hard to really say. I mean, it's the games where we, I thought we had chances to win and didn't, those ones kill me more than a situation like this. But it was definitely a really ugly performance. Uh, you know, just from a numbers perspective, from that from that angle, it's definitely, if not the ugliest, one of the ugliest. There was a, a tweet by Ted Chalfin late in the game yeah. that read, the last CU buff to score a TD in Pullman was Jordan Webb. That really hits home, doesn't it? Yeah, that's pretty ridiculous and sad. And I mean, it's, it's only two trips there since then, but still, that's right. pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, yeah, back-to-back not scoring a touchdown in Pullman is pretty crazy, especially since they were, for a while there, they're the only team whose number we had <laughs> in the back 12. So. so you mentioned the weather earlier. How much of... An excuse? Or would you allow that to be for for the off- offensive performance? I mean, I think it's a reasonable excuse. And Washington State looked like garbage offensively too, and they obviously are pretty potent on offense at times as well. Um, now, obviously, scoring zero points isn't really acceptable. Uh, so, you know, from that perspective, you have to be able to do better than that. But I'm not surprised it was an ugly game. <laughs> 
this was the first time since the UCLA game that really the defense at least shown up enough to where CU had a chance to win the game. Um, it, it, at this point, I feel like it's almost like when you look at this season, you can pretty much equally uh, put the blame out there to the offense and defense. I mean, it was starting to trend more blame towards the defense. Right. But at this point, I'm honestly almost pointing fingers at both sides of the Yeah, ball. I mean, both have their major flaws, which is never good. Um, I mean, honestly, I think this, this game, despite the fact that they played okay statistically, kind of highlights the difference between last year's group and this year's in that we just don't make plays. I mean, how many times did they throw the ball directly into our guys' hands? You make a couple of those plays, Ryan Muller catches that, it's a pick six, all of a sudden, okay, we have a little momentum going. Last year, Cheeto makes that play. Um, Tedrick Thompson makes that play. This year's group is not making those plays. There was a point in that game where the Buffs' top cornerback, their top outside linebacker, and their top offensive lineman were all out, and all three of those guys had, had started that football game. Derek McCartney is fine. He came back late in that Washington State game. McIntyre thinks that Isaiah Oliver is going to be able to go against Cal, but he did add a will see to his comment. He's listed as probable. Uh, Jonathan Huckins, starting center, going through concussion protocol. I would venture to guess that there's a pretty decent chance he's not going to play this Saturday. And then Tim Coleman's status is unknown. Didn't look promising. That looked like a pretty serious deal. Yeah. I mean, obviously that hurt, that hurts your chances as well. Kind of everything that could go wrong did go wrong in that game for CU. That's a lot of injuries for a young team, um, especially key injuries at key positions for this group. Uh, you know, Jeremy Irwin being out of the game is yeah. pretty much the one guy you can't miss on the offensive line. Um, he's, you know, the one guy that you can rely on to some degree there. Uh, Tim Lineon at center obviously was a little bit – Frustrating as well in that game, a lot of snap, a lot of snap issues. So hopefully he can kind of get back into the rhythm before this game against Cal. Uh, this is a rhythm offense, and if Montez or Neuer are jumping for every other pass, that puts you off rhythm in a hurry, and that's how you struggle. So they have to be better with that moving forward. Were you okay with Jeremy Irwin getting ejected? It's such a tough spot to be in as a player. You're trying to protect your quarterback. Yeah. You can't help the fact that the other guy isn't aware you're there, right? Right, yeah, especially as a guy who's rushing the passer. I don't like that rule in general. Now, he definitely did smack him right in the helmet, so there's no argument with that. I mean, if yeah. that's the rule, that's the rule. But you're going after a quarterback. How do you not expect someone to try to block you? You know, it's not like you're in the middle of the field where a lot of different things can happen. You're rushing the passer, and he's rolling out. Like, somebody is coming the other way to hit you. That's, I mean, how long have you played D-line? You know it's coming there. So, yeah, I, didn't, I, don't, I guess I just don't really like the implementation of that rule in that situation uh, because, you know, guys are hitting each other hard on the line of scrimmage all the time. I mean, people connect helmets on the lines on every single play. Yeah. So eight games into this season – the word I feel that best describes this 2017 Buffs football team is disjointed because, again, it's it's not week to week. It's not even series by series. It's just they're just not cohesive as a team. Yeah. Is there a, a word that you would use that's better than that? No, I dragged my brain on this one. There's nothing that really came to my head that's more reasonable than that. I mean, disjointed is a great word. Um, you know, fits all the missing puzzle pieces, you know, of what's going wrong with this team. You know, there's not a lot of leadership at times. There's not a lot of um, consistency at times. There's not a lot of, you know, passion at times, too. And all of those things can lead back to being disjointed. So, yeah, for me, uh, it's a frustrating group to watch for sure. So the Buffaloes return home to Boulder for homecoming weekend. They're a slight favorite over the Cal Bears. It opened at CU minus 2.5, moved quickly to minus 3.5, and, and it seems like it's settled now, maybe at, at minus 3. Um, this will be the final time the Buffaloes are going to be favored this season. Yes, most definitely it will, uh, unless something crazy happens. With one maybe the Utah game if yeah, Utah doesn't win game. Yeah, if Utah really falls apart. They've got Oregon this week. I mean, if you, if they lose to Oregon, people are going to start looking pretty down on Utah as well, I would think. So, but yeah, I mean, at this point, um, this is their most winnable game, most most definitely. Uh, man, it's uh, going to be a nerve wracking one for me. I'm kind of glad it's early. We'll get out of the way early in the day. Well, what's crazy is wouldn't you say now USC at home is a more winnable game than at ASU? Yeah, I probably, not at the beginning of the year, I wouldn't have said that. No, but right now. No, I know, I know. I'm just saying, like, we've always historically struggled down there, so it's a game I don't love yeah. to begin with. Uh, obviously, we've struggled with USC 
pretty substantially as well, though. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have said I was overly confident about either. But yeah, I mean, at this point, USC is, they got, they're pretty banged up, I think is really the simplest way to put it. They just have a lot of guys that are playing through some issues right now. They're turning the ball over a lot. And the most damning thing for them is they refuse to run the ball, despite the fact that Ronald Jones is an absolute monster. So that, you know, you watch them play every weekend. It's like the guy runs for seven yards a carry and somehow gets 11 carries a game. It's like, what are you guys doing? So that that seems to be the main issue with them is they just can't get out of their own way. Isn't it funny how these different teams, no matter where they're at, it seems like CU always plays Arizona, Utah, UCLA, Oregon State close for the most part. Yeah. Uh, aside from last year, Arizona State seemingly blew them out every year. USC has pretty much right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely. It's just fun. funny how, like, I mean, these they trend... had the back-to-back years where their quarterback threw six touchdowns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not great. But anyways, Rashawn Salandwa, I should mention, check into our uh, video preview of the Cal game. We're going to talk more about the matchup and, and give our predictions as well. Uh, Rashawn Salam's number 19 jersey will be retired this weekend officially. Of course, Michael Atkins is still wearing that number. Um, he's not playing, so basically it's like it's retired. <laughs> basically retired, yeah. <laughs> He's just going to be the fourth buff to have his jersey retired. Wizard White, Joe Romig, and Bobby Anderson are the others. I think they do that at halftime, right? Yeah, they usually do that stuff at halftime. For what it's worth, I think Mason Crosby should have his number retired, That too. would be cool. What was his I number? Mean, one of remember. the best college kickers of all time. Um, you know, I don't even remember what his number yeah, was. Yeah, look that one up. 42 or something? No. That's a record <laughs> number. I know. Wasn't it something uh, random? 16. 16. Chris Malumba. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> Going to have to change it up. Dominic Livingston, one of CU's top defensive line targets, decommitted from Texas A&M, and the Buffs have put out an offer to junior college defensive back Aaron Maddox. Our Kyle McCall actually did a, an update on Aaron Maddox. Uh, so, again, kind of tease the recruiting content on buffsamp.com. If you are not a subscriber, check us out because we're going to have more and more updates, obviously. Uh, and, you know, you got to track all these commits now. You know, if Colorado can't get bowl eligible, yeah. there's going to be other Yeah, I mean, there's definitely the been some rumblings of late that teams are, are guys are looking elsewhere. Deion, uh, Deion Smith, who apparently got injured. We haven't really been able to figure out exactly what happened there. It's a, a knee deal, but I, I don't think it's a torn ACL. Oh, okay. Um, obviously, the lineman whose name is escaping me in Tennessee right now. Walker Culver. Walker Culver, thank you, has been looking around a little bit as well. Daniel Arias didn't seem too pleased about that game in Washington State. so He did delete the, uh, the, the tweet. Right, but it was sent. So, <laughs> was sent. At, at some point, he wasn't too pleased for sure. It was just um, periods, though, Tyler. It'd be, literally, as the game ended, they were elated. Let's be honest. <laughs> All right. Buffstampede.com is where you go, like I said, for CU recruiting coverage. And GormanRecruiting.com is where you go to remove the stress of the hiring process. Gorman Recruiting specializes in the unique needs of small and medium businesses. When you're hiring key management, sales, or administration, Gorman Recruiting should be your first call. Learn more, again, at GormanRecruiting.com. I had a chance to talk with one of your guys, Tyler. You're a big Chris Bounds fan. Huge Chris Bounds guy. Here's that interview. Chris, what's this season been like, kind of stepping up into a more prominent role uh, on this football team? Uh, it's fun. You know, I'm, I'm just having fun out there. I'm doing what I've been taught by Coach Bernardi and uh, Sean Irwin, you know, coming up. He, he really helped me get to the spot where I'm at now. So I'm just having fun out there, having a lot of fun. The opportunities for tight ends to catch passes has been few and far between the last couple of years. But then, of course, you had that few-minute stretch where you catch two touchdown passes. Do, do you kind of know week to week what your role is going to be if, if defenses are going to open that up for you? You never know. You know, during the Arizona game, they, they 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 come up with plays, you know, on the spot sometimes. So, I mean, just being ready all the time. You know, we have all these plays in for me. So if I do end up being called upon, I'm ready. I just I just try to be as ready as I can. That's pretty much all it is. Any nervousness in the huddle when you you find out you're going to be a, a target on a play like you were in the Arizona game a couple times? Yeah, not really. I, I just go out there and play every play like it was. Like the last one, you know, if I'm blocking, I got the same mindset. If I'm, if I'm going off for a pass, I got the same mindset. It's all the same. When you caught those two touchdown passes, though, did, was there any confidence that you gained as a result of it? 
A little bit. I mean, it's obviously fun to get into the end zone like that and celebrate with your teammates. But when we got that that loss, you know, it really sucked in, in the end. But as far as confidence goes, I think a little bit. But I mean, I've, I've always been a pretty confident guy as far as catching the ball and running with it. I've never had any issues. Most text messages you've ever gotten after a game was that after Arizona? A little bit. I mean, I got a good amount. I'm an old coach from high school and uh, some friends back home. You know, really, really uh, hitting me up afterwards. It was a lot of fun. How much did you learn being behind Sean Irwin uh, the, the previous couple of years? Uh, you'd be surprised. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, I came in as as a decent blocker, but not to the level that Sean was. Sean really helped me step up the way that I have this year, and definitely Coach Bernardi too. Just being able to get my technique down. And the fundamentals are really all that's really changed for me, and I've gotten a lot better at it. And how would you self-assess your blocking this season when Coach Bernardi puts on the film? How have you graded out in that regard? Pretty well. I, I, everyone makes mistakes. I make mistakes. I'm not, I'm not perfect. No one's perfect out there. But uh, solid film that we've been putting out as, as a group, and I think that uh, going forward we're going to continue to do so. It looked like you guys were starting to get the ball rolling offensively, and then you go out to Pullman, obviously didn't have a great performance as an offense. Well, what has uh, been the, the vibe within the offense this week? Uh, just get, just getting back to it, getting back to work. You know, it's all a grind, and we do we just out here trying to, you know, get the offense rolling again. And this week is it's a different mindset for everybody. No one's no one's jacking around out there. Everyone's focused. We're all trying to get better this week. Well, how, how bad was the weather out there in Pullman? I know you guys probably don't want to use that as an excuse, but it had to be pr- affecting you, uh, you guys. I mean, it certainly looked like it. Uh, for me, I mean, I was cold. It's <laughs> freezing my ass off out there. Excuse my language, but sorry, Katie. <laughs> but yeah, it was really cold. For, for me, I mean, being wet and cold, it's, it's not normal. I'm from Southern California, yeah. so, you know, I'm not used to that. But uh, it's pretty fun to be able to experience all these different weather conditions, though. You know, being able to go to Pullman and get that, that rain and wind and that wind chill, it's, it's a lot of fun to be able to experience all these places, in my opinion. I know you guys try to go in with a sense of urgency every week, but you're 4-4. Four and four, You've got four games left. Cal coming into town. How, how, is there even a heightened sense of of urgency this week? Uh, just taking a week at a time. That's all we're doing. I mean, just trying to get the win this week and then next week we'll move on, just like we have every week. We haven't really looked in the past. We're just trying to move forward. And with the quarterback competition, uh, do you see like that's maybe lighting something under Steven Montez in practice this week? Uh, absolutely. I think we're all we've got a fire lit under our ass after last week. There's no doubt about that. I mean, we're all pretty upset about what happened and we're all trying to make the change. Any long-term goals that you have here? Is there more weight that you want to put on? or certain things you want to accomplish before you're done here? Yeah, I, w- I would like to put on like 10, 15 pounds maybe, but just getting stronger over the offseason, getting faster. You know, Coach Drew Wilson does a great job of that, and I'm looking forward to the spring when it does come around to be getting bigger, getting faster, you know, all that. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, Katie Basin happened to walk by when he uh, used that word, and she was none too pleased. So, <laughs> Keeping it real, Chris Balance. Give him the Brock, baby. Give him the rock. Yeah, the, it's just funny how they really have not used the tight end in the past game, and yet he had two touchdowns within the matter of, what, four minutes in the mm-hmm. Arizona game? Yeah, and they actually used the middle of the field. It was crazy. All right, let's jump into the Buff Stampede mailbag. Buffalo ship, 303 asked, thoughts on 10th assistant coach? Hope for a young defensive line coach with ties to California or Texas. So... You need this 10th assistant to be a dynamic recruiter, right? We can agree on that. Ties to an area like that would be huge. But if you're going to stick with a three-down lineman scheme, wouldn't you be better to have two defensive backs coaches given how many, with that buff backer position, safety, nickelback, cornerback, you've got so many guys in that defensive backs room. And Shadon Brown's done a great job. And Mike McIntyre can help there. But I'd almost rather see... If they're going to make a change on D-line, then you need to make a change there. But I'm saying in, in the secondary, I would rather have two coaches. Yeah, there. I guess to some degree. I would love to have somebody who has a pass rushing specialty. I mean, I think that's the one part. Wasn't DJ Elliott supposed to have that? I mean, hopefully. I mean, you can't just miraculously turn somebody into a Jimmy Gilbert. Well, type, no, you know I, I mean? think you can't for sure. But, I mean, you got to have someone who kind of focuses on those things. Maybe DJ Elliott does. I'm not sure. But I think that's the one part of this defense where – we're really struggling because we're not making enough impact plays. You can't if you don't get to the quarterback in the Pac-12. There are too many good ones that are going to hurt you. Okay. Um, the, it will be interesting though, and I. It's going to be hard though because every 
FBS program is going to be able right. to add that yeah. tenth. So you're not going to necessarily go out there and find some stud. It's going to be mostly guys getting their first opportunity, right? Yeah. I, country. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, or some older guys who have been kind of phased out that will get their chance to move back in. But yeah, I mean, people forget this isn't just, it's not like Colorado's the only team that was allowed to add an assistant. So they're going to be competing with a lot of other programs for some of these guys. I think Nate Tay, if you're going to hire within, might be one of the guys that would be part of the conversation there. Yeah, I think he's probably the early favorite. I think there was a lot of rumor that that was going to happen already earlier this year. Elrod had this to say, Although I never expected to get shut out any games this season, what do CU fans not understand about tempered expectations after graduating pretty much all of your leadership from last year? I've read some ridiculous takes, including missing the Embry days, are CU fans the most out of touch with reality in the Pac-12? Not going to compare to SEC fan bases. The comments after that I've seen after the Arizona and Washington State games about I'm out now, those do kind of seem odd that it, had you survived that stretch between 2009 and in 2012 that this would be your breaking point? They probably didn't. All those people are probably like 21 years old. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much my guess. It's like, oh my God, they're not good for the first time ever. Someone, I forget who it was, one of the guys who writes for BSN, I think, was talking about how the first time he lost at home this year was the first time he'd seen CU lose a home game in his college oh, wow. career. And okay. I was just like, are you kidding me? That's so ridiculous. <laughs> and then there was the opposite for a long time. No one had yeah, seen, seen this team win yeah. much. Yeah. Uh, are they the most out of touch in the Pac-12? I think they're probably, compared to most Pac-12 fan bases, Stanford fan base is way more laid back. I probably, they don't get that up in arms. Arizona football fans probably aren't either, but I don't know. I don't think it's that unusual. It's probably not. I mean, we definitely have gone through the most turmoil in the last 10 years, which obviously makes your personality even worse than it already is, right? I mean, it's... It's not just this year; it's ten years of frustration. Right. So I understand being frustrated, but some, yeah, some of the stuff that people say, it's like I, I am the Embry years were better than this. Like you are so dumb. <laughs> I can't even imagine how dumb you must be to be like, yeah, that's that's a true statement. I'm going to put that out there in the world. Yeah, I obviously agree with Elrod that tempered expectations for the defense and Elliott in his first season were in order, but. I mean, offensively, I'm not going to blame any CU fan for being really pissed off about their production. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I talk about this experience thing way too much probably, but in hindsight, I probably should have known a little bit more where the season was going to be going. Every single year, the most experienced teams are good, and that's pretty much how it goes, and this group doesn't have that much. So, I, Offensively, I though, they do. Yeah, they do. Uh, you know, but it takes two to tango. And, yeah, I mean, offensively, they've kind of always disappointed, though. They were supposed to be better last year than they were, and they weren't this year. That's that's. I mean, even before the year, I was like, I think their offense is overrated. They haven't shown me anything to say, okay, they're going to be good this year. Now, the offensive line, I had zero expectation for them to be this poor. But I did – the wide receivers, again, are worse than I thought. But I did think they were pretty overrated. You, I think, were the only person I heard that actually went on the record about. I know Jake Shapiro did about the team leadership stuff, but you were, you did mention that in our preseason show, so I give you credit there. Buff Predictor had this to say: Recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. With the exception of last year's recruiting class on the offensive line, why is the staff unable to compete with the middling programs in the Pac-12 recruiting linemen on both sides of the ball? Is this just a huge blind spot of Coach McIntyre? Is Rick George cognizant of these struggles? And will he jump in to make sure we are competitive in this crucial area? I don't know how Rick George is going to make you competitive in recruiting linemen. Well, he's the AD is certainly aware of that issue. Right, but him fixing it himself is not going to happen. He has a few other things going on. Um, Yes, I agree. It is the biggest issue with this team right now, especially defensive line recruiting. Um, you got to have way more athletes there. Just watching those guys play and other teams in the Pac-12 play, the level of the the deficiency athletically on the D-line is pretty notable. Um, offensively, I think the issue right now is this is a smaller group that's not as strong as you would like to see. Um, Which should be fixed once you get the Grant Paulies, right. the uh, mm-hmm. Will Shermans. You know, yeah, I mean, I, I like the pipeline there, so I'm not going to overreact too much, I don't think. 
But, I mean, you look at those guys, there's some bigger guys, but they're squattier. You look at, like, Washington State's all I mean, is a perfect example. Those guys run out in the field, and you're like, okay, there's some athletes amongst that group. I don't really think I could say that about our offensive line right now. No, you can't. I mean, Josh Kaiser is lining up at tackle. He does not have the length right. of a typical Pac-12 guy. Hagler had gained that weight, uh, but even still, he's th- kind of undersized for a Pac-12 guy. Jonathan Huckins is undersized for a center. Tim well, Lanotte, as great as yeah. he's been at times, is on the short end. Right. And then that's and it's things again that you look in hindsight and it's like, okay, maybe we should have been paying attention to this. <laughs> well, he asked, why are they not able to compete? I think part of that is until Clayton Adams took over this O-line group last year, the two assistant coaches that have probably been the least dynamic recruiters on the staff were your two line coaches. Right. Yeah, 100%. Um, so, I, you know, Clayton Adams is getting a lot of heat this year. I get it to some degree because they were supposed to be a lot better than they were. But at the end of the day, the talent level of the guys that are starting is just not that high. And that comes from guys who were being recruited three and four years ago. Um, you know, and we have some younger guys. Even when Hagler was playing, you have two true sophomores, basically, or I guess one or two redshirt sophomores playing on the line that's younger than most guys are in the Pac-12 you have juniors and seniors starting most of the way so yeah I mean it's in two years if we're still in this situation and Grant Polly and Will Sherman and Jake Moretti and all those guys are struggling there's reason to be extremely concerned but I think we have to let those guys get into the trenches. Pikla asked do we actually have a shot with Dominic Livingston I don't want to get my hopes up only to see them crushed again mentioned earlier in the show that Livingston decommitted from Texas A&M. He has taken an official visit to CU. He enjoyed his trip there. Kyle McCall wrote an article about it. They have a legit shot. Um, I mean, I, I don't know what he wants me to do with his expectations here. They have a shot. I'm not predicting them to necessarily land him at this point. Yeah, I mean, I would say until we get one of these guys, I, I wouldn't keep your expectations super high. I mean, you know. Trends are trends for a reason in recruiting, and you can figure that out amongst yourselves. <laughs> if we're not getting D-line guys consistently, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get your hopes up. My crystal ball predictions percentage is still at 100%, so I'll tell Pico to keep an eye on that. I, and these are words I didn't think I would ever say before there you go. we got Bob by CBS. Yeah, you were not a big crystal ball guy. Now you're all No, I'm bringing it up at every yes. chance I get. <laughs> yes. The first time I have an I- inaccurate prediction, that's the last time I've ever mentioned it. <laughs> Buff2JD asked, what the heck? How and why did the wheels come off? And how did the Buffs get it righted to finish with a bowl game this season? Try not to repeat ourselves every show, but we've been dissecting this seemingly every week. Yeah, I think, I mean, the one thing that we don't talk about enough is I think a lot of the teams we expected to have easier times against are better than we thought. In Arizona, obviously, with Khalil Tate is a lot better than we expected going in. That was pretty much a guaranteed win. If they don't have Khalil Tate and they're as bad as we expect, we're 5-3 and three going into this Cal game with a very reasonable opportunity to get to bowl eligibility nine games into the year. I think people are a lot less panicked yeah. if that's the situation we're in. Um, again, Cal, a lot better than I think people are expecting to be. Arizona State is a lot better than people are expecting. Uh, so... You know, even CSU, I think, is probably better than people thought they were going to be leading into the year. So who you play has a matter to, has something to do with it as well. Now, obviously, we've been well short of expectations, but there's a lot of factors involved that don't have anything to do with CU as well. His initial question, what the heck? Defensively obvious. You lose all those guys. Right. Now, offensively, which factor, Tyler, would you put more stock in? It's the offense reading their own press clippings or the Cephalufa factor? Uh, man, I mean, honestly, I, would, I wouldn't have said either of those would be the two that I go after. But, I mean, both probably. I mean, especially the wide receiver group, definitely pretty high on themselves. You can see that all throughout the offseason. Um, I think the offensive line was pretty high on themselves as well. Maybe didn't uh, get as dialed in as they needed to this year. And then, of course, we're expecting Montez to be Lufa right away. And that's not realistic either. So um, for me, I think not being able to hit that deep ball and not having enough time to hit that deep ball with the O-line is the one thing. You spread the field and hit some of these deep balls, people can't stack the box, and all of a sudden Philip Lindsay looks real good. Yeah. I think that's got to be their biggest frustration right now with the quarterback play. And Lingren also did say that Montez still is, like, not being patient enough that – if his first reason there that he's just kind of panicking too much and that 
he's not reading coverages all that well at the line of scrimmage. To your point about expecting him to be a cephalophile from day one, I think none of us predicted that Montez would struggle with the deep ball because you just assume you have this great arm. It's, right. That's going to be your strength. But, you know, there's touch required with those throws that yeah. he hasn't had. And he's overthrowing a lot of guys, which has a lot to do with that arm strength yeah. as well. There does have to be some touch involved. And, you know, you don't have to be fantastic at it. You don't need to be hitting 70%, but you got to hit one a game. Two a game would be great, and then all of a sudden you have 70 more yards passing and one more touchdown. The numbers start to look a lot better. You got you have to hit those because then it just opens things up in the middle of the field and for Philip Lindsay and on slants and everywhere else. So it's almost like Montez and Cephal Lufau's passers are almost total opposites. Yeah. Lufau really struggled with those short to intermediate throws, but he kind of anticipated them pretty well. And then on the deep throws, he was pretty darn good at that. Vice versa, Montez is waiting for guys to get open before he even throws the ball, and he's struggling with the deep ball. Uh, and even his runners, you know, Cepho was the between-the-tackle. He developed into that between-the-tackles guy. And Montez, they're trying to get outside a little bit more. So it's almost yeah. like they've, they're almost complete opposite quarterbacks. Blue Sky Buff had this to say. Do you think Mike McIntyre got over-impressed with himself after last year's awards? Do you think any other program in the Pac-12 would trade their coach for ours? Do you think Rick George gave him the big raise too soon? I do. So Blue Sky Buff thinks that the raise was given too soon, and I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to say that Blue Sky Buff felt this way last offseason, the way he does now. <laughs> but I'll guarantee you 90% of people that have that feeling that the raise was given too soon had no problem with the extension yeah. being given when it Big was. Big time Monday morning quarterbacks. Like, Congrats on you guys. Your hindsight is 2020, baby. Um, yeah, I mean... Okay, so he was bad for one year again. I still don't think it's a mistake, even where we are today. I mean, what, he brought this program to somewhere that none of you guys thought we were going to do in 25 years in four. So, I mean, it's not all about where we're at currently. What he did last year deserved a raise. And it, it, if he didn't get a raise, he was leaving. So, it, you know, I guess maybe in hindsight that's what you wanted as well. But who are you going to replace him with? So, yeah. And here's another point. McIntyre's base salary, even after the raise, ranks 43rd nationally. And in the Pac-12 this season, only ranks above Justin Wilcox. He's a first-time head coach in his first year at the school in a, basically a cash-strapped. Cash-strapped is even an understatement for Cal right now. Gary Anderson was the only other Pac-12 coach that was going to make less, and he walked away from his job. So it really is only Justin Wilcox making less. Uh, look at Rich Rodriguez. He's in the hot seat going into the season. And before Khalil Tate basically saves his behind, he's probably going to get fired. He's making double what McIntyre is making this year. Yeah, don't, don't provide facts. That's never good. <laughs> um, in terms of would other Pac-12 programs trade their coach for him? Now, again, this is we got to go back to when this extension was approved, right? At that time, Arizona and Arizona State – would have gladly traded coaches. Both those guys were on the hot seat. Yeah, Cal probably Cal, would have. They had just fired their coach. Oregon State Oregon probably State would have. Would. UCLA, if I mean, they probably would. Have, they're so frustrated with Jim Mora, they probably would have. Yeah, and we're talking about Colorado. This is a team that was like one in six hundred in the Pac-12 for the past decade. Like, why would you expect any of these programs to want to trade coaches with you? Like, the fact that it's you can even ask the question now answers your question. We've improved. Like four years ago, would you even ask that question? No, you would laugh it off the page. Right. And I guess I'll make this point again. So the season before Mike McIntyre came to Boulder, CU ranked literally last out of 124 FBS programs in scoring margin. They gave up more than a field goal more than any other FBS program. Yeah, it was the second worst FBS program of all time. All time. Okay. So that said... McIntyre absolutely deserved that contract extension. Now, the debate is, instead of, okay, why was the extension given? The debate needs to be, can he live up to the terms of the expectations now? And that's, yeah. the jury's out on that. We don't know. But he's, day, given the, he, he's earned the opportunity to at least prove that one way or the other. You're, and everyone's so frustrated. Like, if he ends up not getting the job done and we don't get to where we want to be, the program is still in way better shape than he was handed to it. So... What do we really, like, the reaction here is so visceral, it's nuts. 
in terms of what was the other question he had? Did was did he get overly impressed by last year's awards? If anything that I think negative came from all those awards was the fact that he had to travel so much during bowl season, especially with Levitt leaving and the whole Tumpkin thing yeah. happening behind closed doors. I think that's the part of it that was more of an issue. I guarantee you Mike McIntyre is not sitting there looking at himself in the mirror, proud of himself over these awards. Like, If anything, it was a distraction more so than well, him being a big proud head. of himself, but he should be. I mean, I don't, I don't think he's like, oh, I don't have to do my job anymore. I won these awards. I don't think that's the reaction. But it's not like a my ish doesn't stink anymore. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I agree with you 100%. Uh, you know, people are just going to use every little piece of evidence they can against him at this point. Like, you're just going to pile on every little thing. So, whatever. Ralphie's running asked, no doubt we have regressed considerably this year. Are you more concerned about talent level, maturity level, or coaching? Talent level. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's like anything. It, it's a combination of things, right? Yeah. I said 45% of my blame goes on talent level, and it's mostly on the lines. I said maturity level is 40%. Again, going back to two team captains, a fifth-year senior, a sixth-year senior getting suspended. And then you've got three other defensive players that are expected to either be starters or be in the rotation getting kicked off the team. That's a major issue. Um, And I'm going to put 15% on coaching, just lack of development from certain players. I mean, obviously, certain areas like defensive backs, they've reloaded and done amazing there. Um, So, I don't know. That's kind of how I would break it down. I know there's a lot of C fans that would disagree with me. I don't think... Lindgren's a horrible play caller. I don't think that's a major issue. Uh, he can't complete a deep ball. You're going to have trouble as an offensive coordinator. Um, so, I don't know. Do you disagree with my allocation? Of- no, I would have it in the exact same order as well. I mean, I would probably have less on maturity and more on coaching, but in that in that same order. I just think you have a lot of guys that are inexperienced in the talent level. We don't have six guys who could play in the NFL starting for our team right now. So, you know. That obviously leads you to believe we're not going to be as good as we were in years past. I guess a little bit that needs to go in that coaching too is is you're you're unlike the pros you're recruiting these guys so you have to think have the foresight to go we need to have re- replacements in there. Right. Again, it's just probably not realistic when you have eight guys defensively. It's I mean there's just no way. Uh, but yeah, so that goes into the coaching a little bit too. Black and gold. Josh asked, how has the season struggles tracked with recruiting? Are some previously solid commitments now wavering? Talked a little bit about that earlier. I think the I don't think there's been any major backlash because we haven't seen any decommitments, right? Yeah, that could happen though if they feel fail to reach a bowl game. It could. Yeah, I mean for sure. As the year ends for everybody else, the you know everybody turns up the heat when they don't have to worry about game planning every single week. So that stretch from you know after the Pac-12 championship game or whatever conference you're in nationally um, up until signing day is obviously a lot more gruesome in terms of the recruiting, especially negative recruiting because people have the time to do so. This new early signing period that's going to start December 20th this year, one thing, one reason I don't like it is it actually kind of maybe hurts you a little bit if you're in a big bowl game, right? You can't spend as much time recruiting those couple weeks yeah, after the season. I'll be curious to see how many people actually sign on that date. I, I think it's going to be about two-thirds, maybe three-fourths of guys. Well, that would be good for CU. <laughs> Let's just say that. All right, we have one more question here. We actually got a basketball question, but we're going to throw that into our basketball segment instead. Last football question here from at Bromar04. He asked, y'all's thoughts on Spencer Lytle? Would be weird to have Spencer Lytle hit Tyler Lytle if he goes elsewhere. I had I'd never thought about that until he brought up that point. But I can guarantee you Spencer Lytle is not going to base his college decision on that. Yeah. Um, you know, he's going to have a lot of options. There's no doubt about that. He seems to like Colorado enough so far. I don't know if I'd say we're the favorite to this point. But, yeah, it would be interesting to watch them play against each other. Yeah, he's fought the assumption that he's going to see you because Tyler Lytle is at see you quite a bit. So I think he genuinely has a pretty open mind. Um, UCLA, if I put a gun in my head, I mean, it's so early, I wouldn't make a solid prediction, but I mean, I, I think it's 50-50 at best that he ends up in Boulder. Tyler, it is that time. The updated Pac-12 power rankings. Yuck. It's a little bit of an ugly week for a lot of groups here. Uh, no changes at the top. Oregon State, number 12. I think that's probably likely to stay throughout the rest of the year. Colorado again at number 11. 
I would say that's fairly likely to stay that way the rest of the year as well. Um, unless they look really impressive against Cal this weekend, which I have already predicted that I don't expect to happen. So we'll see how that goes. I have Cal next. Um, the next, honestly, three teams have all been pretty mediocre so far this year. Um, Oregon and Utah are the next two on the list for me. They're somewhat interchangeable. Obviously, Oregon smoked Cal, so they're ahead of them right now for me. Utah uh, probably is lucky to have played Arizona before Khalil Tate. Pre-Khalil Tate, as they say. Um, they would be 0-4 if Khalil Tate was playing for Arizona, probably in conference play right now. This, by, the way, this he, the system, so. by the way, he just got his third consecutive Offensive Pac-12 Player of the Week award. Yeah, so he's pretty good, uh, turns out. So that's, I guess, sort of good for us. Not Doesn't really change much, though, unfortunately. It changes your perspective uh, on that evening, obviously. If he had gotten <laughs> shut out the last two weeks... I can't. I mean, people would still be harping on that. At this yeah. Point. Well, yeah, that's that's probably true. Um, Oregon, you know, they have a lot of injuries, so that has a lot to do with their issues right now. But I also think they were really overhyped. A lot of people just like their win totals this year because they had an easy schedule. They're not even performing up to that at this point. So disappointing year for them all around. Utah, same thing. I mean, they just can't get over the hump. This South is about as weak as it's ever been this year, and they still are sitting at one and three in conference play. So. Again, they will not be winning the South. Uh, after that, uh, honestly, three teams that I think have kind of righted the ship a little bit here. I uh, have UCLA, then Arizona State, then Arizona at uh, 7, 6, and 5. Um, UCLA looked pretty dominant last week against Oregon. Rosen's kind of getting the ball rolling a little bit. They're 2-2 two and two in league right now. Um, you know, I think they're a team that's going to make a bowl, and they'll be okay. I mean, they obviously don't love Jim Moore there, but... They haven't been too terrible. Arizona State, probably the surprise of the last two weeks here. Uh, beat Washington, giving up seven points, and then go into Utah and absolutely dismantle them. It's been a while since I've seen Utah get smoked at home like that. Seems like Aren't they decided they're going to stop. point underdogs in that game? Yeah. Seems like they decided they're going to stop blitzing, and it's worked out really well for their defense so far. They've given up a combined 17 points in two games after giving up at least 30, 11 games in a row. So... That's pretty surreal. Um, I have Arizona next right now at five. Khalil Tate is the only reason Rich Rodriguez still has a job probably at this point in the year. Uh, but he is a total freak. And I think, honestly, they're probably the favorite to win the Pac-12 South right now for me. Uh, USC I have at four. They were at one last week. They got absolutely demolished by Notre Dame. I kind of had a feeling that was going to happen. They are beat up. And uh, anytime they play a team that's more physical than them, I think it's going to get that ugly. So... Uh, it'll be interesting that Arizona State game this week. Uh, that's going to be big for the implications on the Pac-12 South Division. Um, I have Washington State third. I honestly don't. I really still don't think they're that great. Um, it's kind of looked like the the entire Pac-12 this year is pretty mediocre overall. Uh, they got a, they have a game against Arizona this week. I think that will again say a lot about the division race in the South and the North. That's a huge game this weekend. They're favored at Arizona, which is surprising to me right now. Um, Stanford, I have at two. They probably honestly should be at one uh, based on how they're playing right now. They're probably the favorite in the north, which three weeks into the year <laughs> you would, would have been crazy. And then Washington, I have at one. You know, they were off last week, but everybody else kind of struggled behind them. So they backed their way into the yeah. top spot mm-hmm. again. Yeah, so I think for in terms of... Um, playoff potential they're the team with the most talent that has a chance to maybe make some impact there now that USC has two losses and are kind of out of the running there uh, so I have them at number one just because of that but they got a ways to go I, I'm not really sure they're really in the playoff race either when does uh, Washington and Stanford when do they play um I think it's the first week of November let me look that's going to be must see TV yeah I mean that's probably going to end up being the North Championship right there. Let me double check, though. Pull it up. Yeah, they play, well, it's the second game in November. Friday, November 10th, it's at Stanford. And then, obviously, the Washington State Wazoo game is always the day or the weekend after Thanksgiving. So, so if Stanford, Apple Cup will be big one, too. If Stanford wins the North, then Bryce Love is pretty much locked up Pac-12 Offense Player of the Year, right? Yeah. No, that's what I was going to say. What if Stanford doesn't win the North and Arizona does? At that point, do you give it to Tate? I don't know if you could not give it to Tate no matter what at this point. 
I mean, jeez. Stanford's going to have to go undefeated the rest of the way for it not to go to Tate. I'll say Okay. That. I'll say okay. that. Because if they have three losses, it's not going to Bryce Love. So. I wonder if there's ever been a conference player of the year that wasn't even a starter until, like, after conference play had started. Yeah. That'd be interesting to find out. Uh, I mean, was Sam Donald player of the year last year? He wasn't, probably, was he? Because he wasn't a starter until the fourth game of the year either, or maybe the third game. Yeah, I don't remember. Should we jump into some basketball talk real, yeah, real quick? Yeah, let's do it. We're getting pretty close, man. It's like two weeks away. Close. It's pretty wild. Yeah. Three weeks, I guess it is. But, yeah, closer to three. So I wrote an article about the fact that this year you've got to earn a green light to shoot three-pointers. And I thought it was, I don't know, a standard preseason thing that really wouldn't get much debate. <laughs> yeah, well, everybody wants to argue about everything now, right? I was surprised. People think that's a horrible idea. I, Ted Will talks about trying to reinvent himself, but basically trying to hit the reset button, that like almost treating this like his first year so he doesn't get complacent. Uh, not that he can after the last couple of years, but um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a good idea. Give these guys a goal after practice when they're shooting. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, th- I think it depends on how it's implemented to some degree. Now, I don't love the fact that he feels the need to implement it because it has me a little bit worried about how confident he is in our shooters. But that could just be... I mean, from a practice perspective, it gives the guys a goal, and I love that. So that's important. But the problem is if teams start to game plan you and they realize this dude clearly does not have the green light and they're just going to sit at, you know, 10 feet inside the hoop, it helps you play a little bit more defense if people can key on, okay, this guy is not allowed to shoot or he's coming out of the game. You know what I mean? Like if it's implemented like that where it's like, all right, if Deleon Brown shoots this and misses, he's coming out, he's not going to shoot. So I don't have to guard him. You know what I mean? So that's my only concern is our team's going to key on this and use it against him. But that's overthinking it probably. Um, I I think it's good for the guys on the team to have a little bit of inner competition of who can shoot the ball. I think it gives guys who are on that list confidence. and I think it gives guys who aren't on the list a reason to keep working hard. I'm just thankful that we're not going to have to see another season like we endure with Thomas Akizili shooting three-pointers last year. Man, I like that kid too, man. That was brutal. Yeah, he was a really good kid. He's. It just shows you how mediocre the talent is in some of these other countries that he's like playing professionally now. Yeah, and on a good team in Europe. Like <laughs> he's. Yeah, I mean, I think he'll be fine. He, he definitely just lost his confidence here. There was a lot of other things that he did well. Uh, he fits more into the European style of basketball too. Speaking of overseas buffs, how about Wesley Gordon uh, going beast mode over there in Austria? Yeah. I wonder if they have a like full time chaperone with him over there. I. It would be it would be. A let's good, just say good idea. I'll, I'll be more impressed if it lasts throughout the entire season. Okay. He tends to not care after about three weeks. Boyle did tell us that he likes his ability to score, shoot the basketball. They're improving defensively in the half court, uh, but he says that transition D is a major concern for this basketball team. And he says they're turning the ball over a lot. I think we expected that with given the the team's youth. Yeah, so I mean, is their transition D really bad, or are they in transition D for half of the game, <laughs> which will will definitely make you look bad. Right. You know, those, those are things we'll have to figure out. Um, yeah, I mean, there's going to be some frustrating basketball games this year. I'm mentally prepared for that already. I think everybody else should be too, but I'm excited to watch these young guys kind of come together and see who, uh, you know, which, which of the cream rises to the top. Everybody's talking about this talented freshman class. A lot of people are talking about the senior class, George King, Tory Miller, and Dom Collier, I felt like Naaman Wright is almost kind of this forgotten guy on this basketball team, partly because he was a transfer and had to sit yeah, out no, last year. No one's seen him yet. I mean, that's how it was for Derek White, too. I mean, people kind of forgot that he was there. Not on this podcast. We tried to Well, right, yeah, but everybody else is like, ah, he, you know, he'll be okay. And we're like, no, he's going to be pretty good. Yeah. You'll find out. But... So check out my, my feature on Naaman Wright. I guess, Tyler, I'd ask, what are your expectations for him this season? I think he'd be a guy who averaged right around 10 points a game, maybe 12. Um, I don't think this group is going to be a high-scoring unit most likely this year, so I don't think there's a ton of opportunities for buckets. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's he's gonna he's a little bit inconsistent, I think, is what you're going to see. He's going to have some games where he blows up for 20. He's going to have some games where he shoots 0 for 9. So I think what's important for him is will he guard, and is he going to rebound? do other things that make him useful on the floor. Um, 
you know, kind of similar to Josh Fortune, right? I mean, when, when he didn't make shots last year and also wasn't rebounding or defending the way that he had in years past, he was really frustrating to watch. Junior year, when he wasn't making shots, he was still probably the best defender on the team, and he was a lot more tolerable on the floor because he was shutting guys down on the other end. No offense to him personally, but I kind of hope that we would never hear Josh Fortune's name yeah, again. I kind of actually forgot he existed until that blurted out of my mouth. One guy that I really enjoy talking with uh, is Dallas Walton. He gives a fantastic interview. I'm going to have a piece up on him probably on Sunday. Um, he is a guy that's worked his way into the rotation. Uh, it kind of leads me into this question we got from HighBuff79A. He asked, who are the best eight men's basketball players for now? And I, I ranked them out here, Tyler, and it, I think the top three are pretty much set in stone at this point. I know Tad Boyle doesn't want his guys thinking that there's any stars, but one is obviously George King. Two, in my opinion, is obviously McKinley Wright. And three is Naaman Wright to me. Those would be my first three as well. I mean, I think those are the three most solidified guys on the team for various reasons. Um, after that, it, there's a fairly big drop-off until those guys prove to me that they're more alive. You're splitting hairs with a lot of those guys. Yeah. yeah. I said Lucas Seward four, Tyler Bay five, Torrey Miller six, Dom Collier seven, and DeLeon Brown eight. And then you've got Dallas Walton, Deshaun Schwartz, and Evan Batty right there. Um, Tyler Bay is the guy with the biggest upset to move up this list. But just right now, I mentioned on the last show, it just the focus is not there 100% of the time. And he's going to do some things that none of those other guys on the team can do at times this year. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a process with him. Yeah, I think the real key to the team is Lucas Seward probably. If he's the fourth best player on the team, and he's hard to watch. This team's going to be pretty brutal. If he's the fourth best player on the team and he has a big sophomore season, averages close to 10 points a game, plays a little defense, rebounds the ball, hits some big threes, this team could be better than expected. I, I really think how he plays this year will say a lot about the success of this team overall. He struggled for such a large stretch of last season. I think people forget he was pretty darn efficient his last five or six games last year. Yeah, I wouldn't even really say he struggled outside of he, the ball didn't go in. I mean, obviously that's important in basketball, but like he was doing the right things. I liked where he was on the floor. He was taking shots in the right spaces, wasn't forcing. Honestly, was better defensively than I expected him to be. Rebounded the ball okay. You know, stuff that you want. I feel like DeLeon Brown was the same way for me a lot of last year. Didn't make a ton of shots, which was frustrating to see, but did a lot of the right things on the floor. That's really important in basketball. And I think if those things start to fall, people are going to fall in love with those kids in a hurry because they're going to start to produce really, really quickly if they shoot the ball better. My expectations are for him to probably finish right below George King in terms of three-point shooting percentage this year. And you're going to at times maybe get frustrated with him down in the post because he's trying to expand his game. And Ted Boyle says that he makes these good moves, but he just doesn't finish. Right. And then I think it maybe right. it's kind of an evolution. Maybe his junior year, that's when he becomes more of a, a versatile offensive guy. Yeah, well, I mean, you could tell he got big late. Like he was a very skinny kid growing up that didn't play a ton in the post. Now he's starting to gain some of that mass. And, you know, as a guy who developed somewhat similarly, it is, I mean, it's a touch thing around the basket. It, you know, just because you're closer doesn't make it easier to score. You have guys bumping on you. You're not used to facing away from the hoop. Uh, you're used to being able to see the rim the whole time. So it does take a little while to get confident under the hoop there for a guy who's been a shooter his whole life. I'd almost rather shoot a half-court shot than a layup. So I can, I can really Right, yeah. <laughs> The touch is not there in my game. Um, Tad Boyle said that their redshirt decisions are going to be made later this week. Lazar and Nikolic, I think I'd be very surprised if he does not redshirt. Is there another guy in that group, an Evan Batty, a Deshaun Schwartz, that you think that you would personally prefer to see sit on the bench and save that, preserve that eligibility versus play this year? Yeah, we talked a lot about it last week. If we if he feels confident enough in Dalion Brown and Neymar Wright that they can play good minutes on the wing. Um, Obviously, George King is already – we know he's going to play a ton of minutes on the wing. I would like to see Deshaun Schwartz redshirted because he's got to get stronger um, and a little more comfortable with the game. And I think as a senior, he has a chance to be really good. So if they don't think they're going to use him a ton of minutes this year, uh, it would be, be a nice luxury to have, I think, if you were able to redshirt him. Do you have to play Evan Batty from a number standpoint? Uh, probably not. I mean, the what only if they get an injury. Right, there, the only maybe. issue is foul trouble and injuries. Lucas Seward has had issues with foul trouble. You expect Walton to as well. He hasn't played at this level yet. He's going to take some adjustment speed wise. Um, and yeah, and obviously if you have an injury, he's going to have to come in. Um, but I think in basketball, it's less 
dramatic, I guess, if you if you try to redshirt a guy and then play him if someone gets hurt. I mean, because most of these guys do play four years in bounce. It's not like football where if you waste that redshirt opportunity, it's a lot of bigger deal. Saturday, the Buffaloes are holding an open scrimmage. It starts around 9.30, it sounds like, and it's going to go till about 11. So it'll end an hour before the football game. Then they're going to have an exhibition game against Colorado School of Mines on Monday at 7 p.m. at the Coors Event Center. I think I read it's $10 for reserve seating, just $5 to get into that exhibition game if you want to uh, just general admission to get in. Uh, and then they have a closed-door scrimmage against SMU on Saturday, November 4th, before their official season opener on Friday, November 10th at 6 p.m. Uh, that first official game is going to be at the Coors Event Center against Northern Colorado. Um, yeah, you're not going to be able to make the scrimmage on Saturday, right? you got your tailgate situation going on. Yeah, I wish they would have done it at like 7.30. 7.30 to 9, go get some tailgating in afterwards. But it's right in the middle of what everybody trying to get their stuff done. All right. You're going to be able to make it to the uh, exhibition game? No, because it's on Monday and I work on Mondays okay. too. So I'll, we'll see if I can figure out a way to sneak out. But yeah, right now, no. Uh I feel bad mentioning this because I know you're starving to see a basketball practice. I've seen, I think I've seen more of this team because of the summer practices and then the preseason as well. Um, it, it's worked out really well this year. They practice basically until 10, do interviews, hop over to football. Last year they were ending late almost every day, so I couldn't do both. It was frustrating. Uh, so I thank Tad Boyle and the staff for I'm allowing have to, me to I'm going to have to get in there. I'm starving. I need basketball bad. Yeah. Watching regular season Cavs is bad for my health. <laughs> they don't care at all. <laughs> As a Celtics fan, I can't even talk about the NBA season without crying right now. So, Yeah, sorry, buddy. Jason Tatum looks pretty good. He though. does. And Jalen Brown. Both those yeah, guys. Yeah, well, I expected Jalen Brown to be good, so that's not surprising. Tatum, I thought, was going to take a bit longer. All right, that's it for this week's show. A final reminder that Buff Stampede Radio is brought to you by Gorman Recruiting, specializing in the unique needs of small and medium businesses. Gorman Recruiting is dedicated to removing the stress of the hiring process. When you're hiring key management, sales, or administration, Gorman Recruiting should be your first call. Learn more at gormanrecruiting.com. Again, we're going to have our Cal video preview up on Friday afternoon. Check that out. Hope all of you enjoy Homecoming Weekend.